Hi there, and welcome back to the Peter J. Thompson podcast. Obviously, we are going through some interesting times in terms of the economy, and then also um, a lot of us working from home, working remote, a lot going on in the world at the moment. But one of the things that's been really interesting for me is that a lot of businesses are being forced to turn themselves into providing digital services really, really quickly. So having to pivot even quite traditional businesses that haven't done a lot of digital services, digital products, and they're either looking to provide things digitally or at the very least to engage with their audience um, remotely so that they can then keep some part of the business going either as an essential service or just trying to keep up those relationships for the future. So I think that's really good. But a lot of companies have really never had anything beyond a static website, maybe a blog, a couple of landing pages, product page for their website, and a lot more than that. A lot of them are going to have to do a lot more and quite quickly. So I thought I'd share some of the lessons that I've learned about building digital products. So that's going beyond just a static website and into things that are interactive that you can log into, you can transact with, do things. Some of them really simple like e-commerce um, and some of them much more complicated and advanced like financial services and investing and some of those sorts of things. I actually have a blog post on this topic already, so I thought um, I'd continue the trend of just reading out a couple of um, interesting blog posts. Um, I'm still obviously getting used to podcasting. This is a new format for me and for a lot of people, but a um, great way to experiment in no better time. So without any further ado, uh, this is a blog post from 2017, so a few years back, but I think quite a lot of the lessons will still be relevant. Why is building digital products so hard? I've been working in technology startups for several years now, and I've been up close and personal with what it takes to get something designed, built, and onto the internet. And during the consulting parts of my career, I helped build plenty of websites for clients, but it's a whole different ballgame when you're in-house and personally responsible for whether or not a site or a product is delivering actual business results. I've found that as soon as you're responsible for the actual business outcomes, your whole mindset towards building digital products changes. For example, I've found that all of a sudden usability and simplicity become more important than how things look for their own sake. I've always been fascinated by how things that seem like a nice easy website project can gradually become more complex, stressful and expensive. It's not just the normal things like, oh, things take longer than you'd expect, that affects all types of project management. There's something more profound going on when building digital products and services. And there are several interesting issues that cause these sorts of projects to be much harder than you'd expect, even just knowing that you're building a project. So the first one is having an unknowable scope. So you never really know in advance what it is that you actually need a digital product or service to do. Even the best planning, user experience mapping, project scoping won't capture all of the possible things that users might want to do on your site and all of the features that you might want to put in front of your users. In the world of construction and engineering, a very rigid concept called a change order. And this is supposed to track every change to the scope in a project. But with software development, it's possible that the scope isn't even really known in the first place. And these sorts of gremlins take the form of functional requirements. For example, we always needed the system to be able to capture mobile phones as well as email addresses, and it's always been that way. But of course, when you start, you don't necessarily know that 
um, some part of the organization might know it, it might be kind of hidden and there is an assumption. So the mitigation is taking an iterative approach based on the lean startup and agile development and a little bit of design thinking up front as well in terms of research. And that allows you to bite off small chunks to work on. The key is to not go too far down any given path and get attached to a particular solution. Trap number two is hidden dead ends. So a dead end gremlin is when you get 90% of the way down a particular path with implementing a part of the system, only to find that there's an absolute blocker based on a requirement that the tool that you've chosen or the software or the module that you're using can't deliver. And often these gremlins show up as hidden internal systems that depend on each other to do something seemingly simple, like send an automated email or post to an invoicing system. So email marketing and payment processing are the worst areas for these sorts of dead ends because everything sounds simple from the outside. Oh, we'll just plug it into the API. But the reality of actually making these sorts of software projects work can be very hard when multiple systems depend on each other, as they often do. And these gremlins usually take the form of software dependencies. For example, our billing software needs a physical address and a rapid prototype e-commerce tool doesn't capture addresses in the default forms that we need. So the mitigation is being clear about the mandatory requirements in advance. And that can help, but the best solution is to find ways to prototype the idea so that you can test whether everything hangs together properly. And number three is wanting a beautiful and unique snowflake. So in the world of marketing and branding, it's tempting to want to make everything unique and different and beautiful. And this is a great way to create a unique brand but it's a terrible way to create a website or a digital product. And good web design prioritizes functionality and effectiveness over looks. My founder of uh, TradeMe, Sam Morgan, um, told a great story at one of the early Better By Design conferences about functionality and the unspoken standards in web design. So he explained that before the 1940s, every car dashboard looked different, had different levers, different dials, displays all over the place. And then after the 1940s, gradually almost every dashboard from every manufacturer started to conform to the same basic layout with the speedometer, rev counter, fuel gauge, which meant that any driver could drive any car without ever having to relearn everything from scratch. So the basic interface has actually stayed pretty much the same ever since then because usability is more important than uniqueness. And even modern cars with digital screens, for example, often have the same basic layout of speedo, rev counter, and fuel gauge. So standardization makes things simpler for the end user. And the same is true for web design. We expect links to be blue and underlined. We expect the scroll bar to be on the right, the menu to be on the top, maybe the left-hand side. Websites that break the basic navigation conventions just to be different are making the medium more important than the message. And it's nice to be unique, but it's better to be effective. So these gremlins often show up as wild ideas from non-designers wanting to make something out there just for the sake of it. They also kind of show up as really stubborn opinions about what people will call brand guidelines, where like you're trying to find out, follow something that was probably designed for the web. Um, my favorite example is like using trying to use fonts really stubbornly. Um, you can actually these days load lots of different fonts, um, pretty much any font that you can think of. You can find a web, ver well, not necessarily a web version, you can push that font onto browsers manually. But 
it's not going to be easy, it's not going to be fast, and it's not going to load simply. So there's a trade-off there in terms of being stubborn about wanting to do something that is unique, rather than just choosing to do something that is effective. And that's a constant kind of balance you need to walk. So the mitigation is using standard web development frameworks and content platforms, and that will help make sure that the website's consistent and easy to use. A lot of those frameworks and templates come with navigation and basic assumptions about how the page works and responsiveness kind of baked in, and that's really valuable because a lot of those assumptions are then common across different websites, and that is, is generally to your benefit because it's going to make things easier to use. So the final gremlin is um, one that almost always gets left to the end of every project and I think actually should be much more prominent. So number four is testing and compatibility. So every website project that I've worked on started with great promises about compatibility for mobile, desktops, different browsers, um, different users, and with great intentions to test everything. And in practice, too many websites don't work on mobile phones. They have a wide range of, um, or the wide range of web browsers that are out there in the real world. Personally, I'm a fan of minimalism in web design. So less distracting fonts, animations, noise that there is, then the more the content can shine through. Now, ironically enough, simple and minimal design is also more likely to work on a wide range of devices and, and browsers. So the simpler you make things, often, the easier it will be for it to work on a wide range of devices. So these gremlins show up as pages that work on your phone, but not really, or not across other phone brands or um, different operating systems. And the worst offenders are usually large tables of data. So a lot of the projects that I've worked on have had large, complex data tables, and you have to scroll sideways, you have to scroll down, you, can't, you either compress it down so that you can't see as much information. There's actually some hard design decisions in there, and they can be well done, but honestly, just testing and compatibility, making sure you're trying things out on different devices and different browsers makes a huge difference. So the mitigation is to make designs and code as simple as possible, and don't assume that every single person in the world uses Chrome on a desktop. These days, I usually design the mobile view first for each page, because it forces me to focus on what matters most. And that's the end of the article. Yeah, so a couple of years old, but I think all of that probably still stands true, and particularly for any kind of SME or kind of medium-sized business that's suddenly having to kind of re-engineer what they do for the new economic environment and then the new kind of situation we find ourselves in working remotely. I think there are some amazing things that companies can do when they bring the best of the behaviours that are part of their business and find really simple but surprising digital um, analogues or digital versions of those behaviors. So look for the underlying behaviors. So if you um, running running events, for example, if you run kind of networking events as part of your marketing strategy, then I'd be looking at not just hosting a webinar, but what are you doing to kind of, if you're the sort of organization that runs events where there are guests that come along early and people kind of do some networking and things, what can you do to replicate that kind of sense of community? Um, if you're the sort of organization where you really encourage the speakers to hang around afterwards and kind of have drinks and mingle with the attendees, then what can you do to replicate that sense of community again as well? Yeah, whatever it is, the approach that you've taken to the rest of your business, then bring that mindset to the digital 
products and services that you're building and creating because that's where interesting kind of creativity will happen i think the fundamentals of like how the technology gets built then there's some innovation to be had there but actually your innovation is likely to be in bringing your own community your own audience and your own take to things not necessarily having to build everything from scratch totally unique just for the sake of it so I'll be posting more stuff on this topic. It's obviously something that's dear to my heart um, and worries me a little bit. I've seen a lot of people waste a lot of money either with consultants or their own developers in terms of time. And um, that's something that um, I think New Zealand businesses in particular just need to get a lot stronger at. How do we actually kind of scope a project? How do we brief a project? How do we provide good feedback on projects that move things forwards? So that's some of the stuff I'll be aiming to talk about in the future. So as always, really keen to um, get your feedback um, on Twitter as Peter J. Thompson, um, on LinkedIn, um, findable on the web, and um, obviously the blog peterjthompson.com is where this article first appeared, and you can send feedback through there as well. So keen to hear from everyone. Have a good one.